0: As I've been praying, I really came across, I was honestly having a bad day and feeling a bit overwhelmed and discouraged. And I looked up the definition of joy. And the definition of joy in the Greek, which is where the original uh, scriptures were written in the New Testament, the definition of joy means grace recognized. What a powerful definition. Grace recognized. Recognized. I don't know if you saw that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. But happiness is a good thing. I want people to be happy. I want my kids to be happy. I want to be happy. I want my wife to be happy. But happiness means something has to happen to make me happy. Happy happen. Get it? Joy is internal. Happiness is often related to the external. And in a time like this, we can look to the external and not find a whole lot to make us happy but internal happiness, joy, is grace recognized. So as I was praying, I wanted to do this sermon series called The Grace Project. Does grace really work? I know we've been saying this is still us, and it's true. This is still who we are as a church, but this is still us. God is still here, and grace still works. If you are watching, welcome to The Grace Project. What does that mean? That means we're gonna be unpacking grace, and we're going to be discovering the truth that grace still works in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of a storm in the middle of job loss grace still works and grace recognized is joy and so i want to share a passage of scripture that's meant a lot to me over the years and i've shared about it before and preached from it before but it it takes place in romans chapter 7 and paul who was the author uh, by the through the power of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for a good portion of the New Testament was struggling with this concept of sin. And I really believe that we are going to be encouraged by just watching Paul's humanity play out, if you will, through Romans chapter 7. And the and the heading of the this passage literally just says struggling with sin. If you look at it in the NLT Bible, uh, we're gonna pick up in verse 14 where Paul has just got done talking about the law, the law that Moses gave um, on the mountain of God, gave to God's people and everybody disobeyed the law and got themselves in a bunch of trouble. And so Paul is saying, "I, I, I have the same issue. I have the same struggle. The law representing what God wants me to do. I'm struggling to follow it. I'm struggling to obey. And he says this powerful thing in verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law the trouble is not with what god is saying the trouble is not with the boundaries god has set up for me isn't that already walking in humility well we're not saying the issue is that the Bible's outdated the issue is that this stuff is for weak people you know religion i'm not religious i'm spiritual don't we try to say things that get us out of the boundaries that god has set up because we find issues with that i love what paul is saying in humility so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and it is good think about how many times we've heard the phrase people say i'm not religious i'm just spiritual paul is saying it is absolutely spiritual to have Boundaries. Come on, married people. Don't you want your husband to have ba- boundaries? Come on, single people. Don't you want your future husband or wife to have boundaries? Your, your wife to have... We, boundaries are actually the context of great growth in health. We give our children boundaries. We, we don't. We give our workplace boundaries. If they're going to pay you an hourly rate, don't you expect for that to be on your paycheck? There is no context where boundaries healthy boundaries are not a part of all good things. So Paul's saying the law, these boundaries, they're spiritual and they're good. And here is another marker of humility from Paul, the trouble is with me. Come on, that is preaching to somebody right there. The Bible says God gives grace and favor to the humble. What if we could just be humble enough to say the trouble's not with my spouse, the trouble's not with my church, the trouble's not with my boss, the trouble is is with me. And Paul says this, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Are you ready to be encouraged? Are you really ready to be encouraged? I'm going to give you a minute. Paul said, I am all too human, a slave to sin. Paul said, I'm too human. Come on, anybody out there, you too human? Come on, there's somebody right there this week, you were too human. That text message you sent back to somebody who made you angry, you were too human this week. Come on, put it in the chat and say, I was too human this week. Paul said, I'm too human, I'm a slave to sin. You know why this is encouraging? He wrote the Bible and God knew that he was too human and God knew that he was struggling and God still used him. If the writer of what we're studying said, I'm too human sometimes, Don't we serve a God who is gracious and kind? Can't we be encouraged that we also, like Paul, have a destiny that will help people and inspire people and encourage people? Paul goes on in verse 15 and he goes, "'I really don't understand myself, "'for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. "'Instead, I do what I hate. "'But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows I agree that the law is good. Can I free you from guilt right now? If you know that what you are doing is wrong, then that's a great place to start because you agree with God. You might not be able to do it yet, but at least you agree. Come on, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to lift you up out of that guilt that you feel sometimes when you mess up. And watch, Paul says this is the reason why he can do that, because verse 17 says so I am not the one doing wrong, it is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, my human nature, which is sinful. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Do you hear what he is saying? And I believe one of the things that will make the Grace Project, this journey we're going to be on in this next few weeks, one of the things that will make it powerful in your life is even if you don't want or you don't know how to change, just want to. Even if you don't know how to do better, just want to. Even if you can't stop doing that thing, just want to stop. I believe God's grace will meet you right in the place that Paul was. And then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I do what is right, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? Look at this question. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature... I am a slave to sin. Paul had a question. He had a bunch of issues that came up, but then he had this question, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Who will will free me? I don't know about you, but in the middle of a pandemic, I haven't been asking a lot of questions that start with who. I've been asking a lot of questions that start with what? What in the world is going on? I've also been asking a lot of questions that start with when. When am I going to be able to go outside? Right? We've been asking a lot of questions. I don't ask who I've been asking, who I've been asking, why? Why? After having a church for five months, am I trapped in my house and I can't even go be with the people that you have called me to lead? Why? One of the things that I really believe God wanted you me to encourage you with is that if we're going to find grace, we might have to step away from the questions that start with when, we might have to step away from the correct questions that start with why, we might have to step away from the questions that start with what, and get into the question that I believe that God wants to speak to you and I during this season, is who? Who's going to free me? Who's going to give me peace? Who's going to give me hope? Who's gonna show me the way to get out of this? Who's gonna restore my finances? Because that answer is Jesus. I have often found in my life, if I'm asking the wrong questions, I always have the wrong answer. Because even the right answer to the wrong question, come on somebody, I am preaching, babe, I wish you could say amen, this is so fire. Even the right answer, To the wrong question means you have the wrong answer. We got to be asking the right questions. And Paul's question was, who is going to free me? We always have these questions, don't we? Pop culture has questions. I remember Whitney Houston would always ask questions through her music. She would say, how will I know if he really loves me? 50 Cent had a song called 21 Questions. He wanted to know if he was broke and all he could afford was Burger King, would, would somebody still ride for him? Come on, is that a good question or what? I, I agree with you, 50. I want to know. Will somebody ride with a brother? Paul had a lot of questions. But the one he seemed to want to know in this passage of Scripture was simply who. Who is going to free me? And then he said this powerful thing. Thank God the answer is found in Jesus Christ. I marvel at Paul, I'm inspired by Paul because of the questions that he asked. You know, interesting enough, Paul later in the, the, um, earlier in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, um, he was getting ready to um, leave the church of Ephesus and Ephesus would have been a city uh, that would have been similar to Um, Los Angeles a metropolitan area of that time obviously probably not um, 8 10 million people that live in Los Angeles County, but it was definitely definitely bustling with with trade and 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 Promise and finances it was a great city to live in and and prosper and he probably would have built one of the healthiest churches Even if you read the book of Ephesians, he's not really correcting a lot of the challenges um, that he would in the book of Corinth He's not talking about temple prostitutes and things like that, that he was having to really lean into people about. He was talking about what it meant to live a holy life and and that even Ephesians 3.20, for God is able to do more than you can ask. Imagine, or think it seemed that he was talking to a group of people who wanted to be mature. It seems that that would have been a good place to settle down, put his roots in, things were going well. It seemed that in the church of Ephesus that things could have been comfortable for Paul. And the Bible says he was with them for three years And then all of a sudden, he heard a word from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, that it was time to move on. And watch what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead i want you to catch this doesn't this pandemic and this stay at home order sometimes feel like you are imprisoned right nobody would have picked this 2020. matter of fact some of y'all ready for 2020 to be over and paul stepped into what we are constantly praying we get out of I got to take a lap. I feel like I can't stand here in front of this camera. I wish I had a stay so I could just walk off. I said, Paul had so much faith. He willingly stepped into a season. You and I are praying for us to get out of. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about that because the COVID-19 virus, we need to pray. But I'm just giving you the idea that he had encountered somebody that motivated him to say, I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city after city that both jail and suffering lie ahead. And watch what he says in the next verse. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others about the good news, the wonderful grace of of God. In Romans chapter seven, he's saying, who's going to free me from this life dominated by sin and death. But in Acts chapter 20, he's saying, my life is worth nothing unless I use it to finish the work of telling people about grace. How could that happen? He, the Holy Spirit told him that jail and suffering, that is all he had. He knew no information about his mission other than jail and suffering. And not one question about why, God, I've been serving you. I've been following you. I've been in Ephesus for three years. The church is growing. It's doing amazing. You want me to go somewhere where jail and suffering await me? Why? And it wasn't like he said, how long? Am I gonna have to stay there? How long am I gonna have to suffer? The Holy Spirit told him he would be in jail and he would suffer and not one question, but yet when he sinned and when he felt like he failed God, who is gonna free me from this life dominated from sin and death? I honestly believe that it's nearly impossible to encounter The grace of God that Paul encountered if we are not asking the right questions. Because in Romans chapter 7, when Paul humbled himself and asked who, God showed him who. He showed him Jesus. And he gave Paul such a divine grace that Paul dedicated his life, even in the face of death, to tell people about the grace of God. Now, in some ways, every time I walk out of this house and have to put on a face mask, maybe not on the level Paul is, maybe not on the level of someone who's in the ICU right now. And I'm praying if somebody's listening on our podcast and you have COVID-19, you are healed in Jesus name. Maybe we're not, I'm not facing death when I put on my face mask in that way. But honestly, if you tell me walk out of our house, doesn't it feel like death is lurking around the corner. And Paul said, I'll face that because my life is worth nothing unless I use it to finish the work that Jesus has given me to tell everybody about this grace. What kind of grace would make a human bypass danger for a message? I believe that's the grace that I want you and I to receive during this journey called the grace project one of the things that jesus said in john chapter 1 that was said about jesus is that jesus came full of grace and truth and one of the things i believe that's happening right now is that it's bringing down anything that we had as our god matter of fact i want to challenge you if you pray about your your purpose and your career in such a way that if you don't have it you feel all stressed and angry you might not be praying about it you might be praying to it and God is in this season he's bringing down the gods that we serve that we're a slave to because he wants to be a God who has relationship with his sons and daughters and show us what grace really means I really believe that Paul encountered grace because he was humble enough to admit his mistakes and his sin grace is God's undeserved favor and kindness towards humanity. And I want you to write this down. Grace is overwhelming when you realize you are undeserving. Paul was overwhelmed with the grace of God, that he could stare death in the face and tell people about grace. Why? Because Romans 7 tells us Paul knew he was undeserving and you will not be overwhelmed until you realize you're undeserving. My prayer is that during this time, grace would overwhelm you. I'm tired of being overwhelmed by fear and anxiousness. I don't wanna be overwhelmed by that ever. I wanna be overwhelmed by grace. The other thing that we see in Romans chapter seven that I want you to write down is that if you are humble enough to know you need grace, you are in the perfect position to receive grace. Most people are not humble enough to say they need grace. Here's what a a few things that I've seen In my short time as a pastor, I've seen people do. They don't say that I need grace. They don't tell God I need your grace. They don't tell people I need grace from you. You know what they do? They try to just do better, to perform more. They would rather work harder to please God and please people than to just apologize and ask for grace. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most dangerous things you could ever do. Do because it eliminates this experience of receiving grace. Grace is never earned. It's only given. It's a gift from God and God gives grace. The Bible says this, God gives grace to the humble. One of the reasons we have such a hard time walking in the favor and grace of God is because humility has left the building. Can I be honest? It's the pride to constantly point out the wrong in another person, to constantly blame, to constantly not take responsibility. When's the last time you looked someone in the eye and said, you know what, I messed up. We don't do that anymore. And I really believe that if you're humble enough to know you need grace, you're in the perfect position to receive grace. Romans seven sounds dark, but it's not. Because it talks about sin, and sin is a problem, but grace is the answer. And it's kind of like when, when people go to AA, I, I've never been, but usually the first thing that they do is they, they, they recite their name and then they have to admit that they have a problem. They say, I'm an alcoholic. And in that admission, right, in that admission, they're ready to begin the journey of change. And I really believe that's what God is asking from you and our humble hearts to go to God and say, hey, I need some grace. Romans three, twenty-three 23, verses 20 through 24 show that sin is a problem, but grace is the answer, because it says, for all have sinned. All, Pastor Julian, every single person that you think is better than, we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's what sin is. It's falling short of the goodness of God. That's what glory means, the goodness of God. You could literally read that verse, For all have sinned and fall short of experiencing the goodness of God. And then it says in verse 24, please never read verse 23 without verse 24, because it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, what the enemy, the devil, wants you to do is he wants you to read that and he wants you to go, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so try harder to be a better person. I actually had somebody tell me um, when, why they didn't have a faith in Jesus, is because they just want to focus on being a better person. Do you know how much work that is? Right? You, would you ever tell my daughter, she's seven, and my son, he's five? And there are a lot of moments where I want to tell them, you need to be a better person, (laughs) but they're kids. What kind of parent would look a child or a toddler and tell them that they need to be a better person? If you were watching on Easter last week and you saw my son interrupt a Holy Communion moment with the Statue of Liberty, didn't you laugh, right? But if it was an adult, you wouldn't give grace, to get mad. That's why you gotta be careful. But you laughed because there was an innocence there. We always assume the worst about people. We never assume that they're doing it in innocence. We always assume the worst. But because he was a kid, he was was innocent, we kind of laughed it off and took communion the best that we could. And you laughed as well. Matter of fact, that was that moment out of everything that we put into that, that was most people's favorite moments. What kind of dad would I be if I would've turned to him that moment and said, you need to work on being a better person course not. We enjoyed it. We went with it. That's what God does when he's trying to give us grace. We're justified by grace. Please do not try harder. I want you to write this down. The worst thing you could do as a sinner is try to change. Grace received is changed, empowered. I have to read that again. That is so fire. Can somebody type a fire emoji in the comments right now? Because I said the worst thing you could do as a sinner is try to change. Grace received is change empowered. It is grace that empowers you to change. Think about Paul in Romans chapter 7. I'm going back to it. Who is going to free me? Who, he's, he's, he's so focused on his mistakes that he dedicated a whole chapter to like, why do I keep doing this? And maybe you're at home right now in your living room by yourself, or maybe with your family and you've asked yourself this question, why do I keep doing this? Maybe you're on Romans chapter seven, but I'm praying that one day you would be an Acts chapter 20 where you could have encountered a savior so gracious and so loving that you could say, my life is worth nothing unless I use it to finish the work of telling everyone about the grace of God. How powerful is that to encounter true grace, undeserved favor, and kindness from God? One of the reasons why it's so dangerous if you make a mistake or you sin to just try to change is because it is the grace that activates the change. The grace activates the change. So here is the process to change, because we all need to be transformed. We all need to be more like Jesus. Hear what I'm saying? But sin meets grace and grace meets change. It does nobody any good for preachers and pastors to get on a pulpit and tell people to stop sinning. That is never the right thing to do. And I know what you might be thinking, You might be thinking, well, what if people keep doing the same thing? If people keep doing the same thing, they don't understand grace. A lot of times we think that people have a revelation of grace and they just continue to do the same thing. Nobody that understands grace stays the same because grace always empowers change we need to get better at communicating the grace of God. I know this is true y'all, because in Romans chapter seven, Paul was crippled with thoughts about his grace. But yet in Acts chapter 20, he never once said that he felt compelled by the spirit to tell people not to sin. He said, I have got to go to Jerusalem. My life is considered worth nothing at all unless I use it to finish the work assigned to me by Jesus, of telling everyone about the grace of God. We really need to go on this journey together as a church family to understand grace because grace empowers change. Titus, come on, Titus. Verse, chapter two, verse 11 through 14 says something powerful. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. Who brought it? Jesus. Jesus appeared and he came full of grace and truth. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then it says that grace actually does a work. There is a work that grace completes in a believer. Watch this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Not when we go to heaven, now. What does grace do? It trains us. Some of us have been trained by the church. Some of us have been trained by guilt. See, the church can produce change. They can tell you what to do. And I'm not saying church is bad. Here, here, my heart. You know, um, guilt can tell you what to do. And oftentimes church and guilt can say the same thing. I'm not asking, are you trained um, by growth track and by church? I'm not asking, are did you grow up in church? Have you been trained by grace, because it is only those who are trained by grace that can actually renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, that can actually live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You know what the present age means? Now. So I want to ask you right now, do you want to be saved by grace? And if you are already saved, do you want to be trained by grace. I believe this is what the grace project is going to do. It's going to create a revival of people saved by grace and trained by grace. People who are saved being transformed into the image of Jesus, being who they were always meant to be because they are saved by grace and trained by grace.